Are you ready to know what you don't know about Privacy Pros? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Privacy Pros Academy podcast by KZN Privacy Experts. The podcast to launch, progress and excel your career as a Privacy Pro. Hear about the latest news and developments in the world of privacy. Discover fascinating insights from leading global privacy professionals. And hear real stories and top tips from the people who've been where you want to get to. We're an official IAPP training partner. We've trained people in over 137 countries and counties. So, whether you're thinking about starting a career in data privacy, or you're an experienced professional, this is the podcast for you. and welcome to the Privacy Pros Academy podcast. My name is Jamila and I'm a data privacy analyst at KZM Privacy Experts. With me today as my co-host is Jamal Ahmed, who is a Fellow of Information Privacy and CEO at KZM Privacy Experts. Jamal is an astute and influential privacy consultant, strategist, board advisor and Fellow of Information Privacy. He is a charismatic leader, progressive thinker and innovator in the privacy sector who directs complex global privacy programs. Considered by his peers and clients to be one of the UK's preeminent privacy experts, he has the credibility and gravitas to engender confidence. He's a sought-after commentator, contributing to the BBC, ITV News, Euronews, Talk Radio, The Independent and The Guardian, amongst others. Privacy Pro's podcast reaches audiences in 72 countries and is ranked the number one privacy podcast in the world and one of the top three GDPR podcasts. Jamal strives to be a great leader, listener and coach. He has grown a talented, high-performing team who protect the privacy of a billion plus data subjects and are international experts in data privacy, GDPR and cybersecurity. He works with global clients across multiple sectors and jurisdictions, partnering with boards and C-suite teams. He debates constructively, challenges rigorously, questions intelligently and advises pragmatically. Alongside exceptional experience, qualifications, he adds value by providing pertinent insights, bringing alternative perspectives and triggering healthy debate. Hi, Jamal. Hi, Jamila. How's it going? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm great. And I hear you've sourced us another fantastic guest this week. Yes, I have. Our guest today is Chris Hanman. So before co-founding Territory, Chris was the first general counsel at Snap, where he built the company's legal, compliance, public policy and law enforcement teams. During his time there, Chris developed a transformative privacy program that coupled rigorous review with tools and systems that were nimble enough not to restrain the relentless pace of execution. Chris is a Homeland Security Project Fellow at Harvard's Belfer Center for Science and International Affairs, and he's constructed two crossword puzzles that have been published in the New York Times, one of which was featured on the Colbert Report. He graduated from Yale Law School. Wow, Chris, thank you for coming on our podcast. Thank you so much for having me. No I, I think Jimmy, all we need to do is uh, talk uh, this podcast in crossword puzzles. <laughs> well, that leads me nicely on to our icebreaker question. I want to know, what was the hardest clue in your crossword puzzle? I don't know. That's a great question. I think the <laughs> it was a very ephemeral uh, puzzle because it was based around an event from 2010 at the time, which felt very real at the moment. Uh, so probably the hardest clue would be trying to figure it out today because it's now, you know, 12 years old. So <laughs> it was based on that Stephen Colbert, John Stewart rally to restore sanity, March to keep fear alive event that, uh, at least here in the U.S., was kind of like a big deal uh, and a big spoof around kind of political conventions. And so much of the puzzle was 
all based on those events. So a lot of the themes are really kind of insider jokes around that. And uh, I suspect maybe didn't translate well uh, beyond time and space. <laughs> I think the closest thing I do to a crossword at the moment is uh, Wordle. We are huge Wordle fans in, in my, my household. Um, the only problem with that is my two young sons who were, one's about to turn eight, the other's nine, they they love to play it actually. But yeah. they like to start with like first words that are like bunny or horse or things that are <laughs> like top of mind. So my skill is sometimes compromised a little yeah. bit by less strategically or so, let's, let's say dubious first word choices, uh, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Actually, before we get into the questions, uh, Chris, could you just give us a brief walkthrough through kind of the kind of roles that you've had in the different companies you work with? Because from the conversation we were having just before this, uh, you were telling me about some of your experiences and it, I think it sounds really fascinating. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about some of the experiences that you've had that has led you to where you are today? Sure. So I think for me, I took a bit of an unorthodox path into tech and even privacy. I was doing Supreme Court and appellate litigation in, in Washington, D.C. for a few years where mm -hmm. a lot of the issues at that time were starting to emerge around technology and especially around privacy. And that actually put me, I think, on the map when Snapchat back in early 2014 was looking to hire a general counsel for to build out a legal team in large response to the fact that they, they managed to get themselves under a Federal Trade Commission consent decree, a 20-year consent decree for a few privacy missteps. And that required them to build a massive privacy program at a time that they were about 55 employees and there, there was no GDPR yet. So there was no privacy software of anything to speak of. The only solution was uh, consultants like PwC or Deloitte, which had great playbooks on how to run a privacy program, but they were really aimed at large 10,000 person companies, not your modern kind of agile development. And so it literally fell to me and my co-founder at Territory, who was the first CISO at Snap, to kind of rewrite the playbook around privacy. And our theory at that time was we needed to somehow balance the rigor that these audits were going to demand around understanding all the data that teams were using before they shipped their products with the mm -hmm. speed and execution. And so we ended up kind of pioneering this notion of like, let's try to shift left, move privacy and weave it into the fabric of product development and, and ensure that it gets privacy is removed from its siloed, entrenched kind of reactive posture and something more proactive. And over years, we continued to iterate on that product, uh, that, that framework, and it not only survived the audits with flying colors, but what was really gratifying was to see the business come to embrace it because it, it demonstrated that there is not uh, this zero-sum game between privacy or product, privacy or innovation, privacy or speed, that if with the right tooling and the right thought processes, you can actually achieve both in a way that actually makes everyone incredibly happy. And years later, after Snap IPO and all these privacy laws coming down, the books and companies increasingly needing to struggle with this idea of how do we understand what our teams plan to build? How do we how can we get ahead of these issues? How can we get a better scalable sense of what what how are we going to use data? How what data are they going to be using? What are those risks? We built a platform kind of first of its kind to really be this hub that sits between the way teams develop and the way these things get reviewed. And we can, of course, you know, bore you to death about how we actually do that magic. Uh, but that was the, the insight. And we've now been doing that for several years and working with some, you know, just 
incredible companies who uh, I think are on that cusp of pioneering this movement, whether it's Foursquare or Lyft or Robinhood or Roku. And it's been, been really delightful. Wow, that sounds super fascinating. And earlier when we were speaking, you mentioned something about the shift left mentality. Do you want to mm-hmm. tell us a little bit more about that? And was that developed as part of this work you was doing here? Yeah, so I think it's a really interesting concept. And if you think of it, so shift left is really just the metaphor. If you think about the way products get developed on a continuum from sort of left to right. So on the far left hand side, if you could visualize this, you would have like those germs of like good ideas. Like someone's like, hey, let's let's do this. And as those ideas mature from that kind of nascent stage on through uh, product specking, on through development, through testing, ultimately on the far right of that continuum is you ship those products, they go out the door and you start ingesting the user data that these products were designed to uh, accommodate. Historically, privacy has really occupied this kind of like far rightward tilt on that continuum. It's been consulted late, if at all, in these processes of product development. And it's just an inherently reactive posture. It's often been kind of cut off. And part of that is not through anyone's fault. It's just the reality of product teams working in their own tools, like Jira and other fast-moving agile development tools. Mm -hmm. Lawyers have an almost pathological allergic reaction to JIRA and, and, and things like that. They're often spreadsheets and, and they, these are worlds that just don't speak well to each other, even when people out of good faith are trying to. And so what we recognized was that we had to bridge this gap, especially back at Snapchat. The only way we were going to kind of couple speed and rigor was to shift left and to kind of move this into privacy, into the fabric of development. So we couple together our own home brewed uh, uh, DIY types of efforts. But we recognize that we to democratize this, to kind of bring this vision to life, we needed to build that platform that no one had really focused on. And I think our unique experience at Snap gave us those, that kind of like insight that, hey, there is a, a real need here and a pain and something we want to get ahead of and where the markets continue to go. And so shift left at the end of the day is really about trying to ensure that privacy is a key component of every way in which you develop your products. Yeah, it's very all very interesting. Chris. Um, how did you first become interested in privacy? Because you have a law background. You graduated from Yale Law School. What was the draw to privacy? One of the things I love about privacy is that it doesn't admit of too many uh, categorical answers. There's a lot of indeterminacy. There's a lot of ambiguity in privacy. And it's also an, an emerging area of the law. It's changing all the time. And I'd say mm-hmm. the final thing is that it, it, it is one of the more uh, tangible aspects of law that affects people's lives, right? We think today, uh, it's not an exaggeration to think about privacy as a human right. And yep. the idea that you can be a part of a developing a legal doctrine in this era of, of uncertainty and co- constant tectonic plate shifting uh, and and help uh, think about promoting what is a human right. I think that to me has always been the most interesting aspect of, of law. Some people love trust in estates and hardened uh, black letter rules that they can apply. Um, that was never for me. I liked the I liked the shades of gray and I like the policy questions that merge with law. And to me, uh, early on, privacy represented a lot that 
intellectually fascinated me, but also had this really practical sense of we, we can do good. And I know that's always like this kind of cliche, but it is a happy coincidence when you can marry your intellectual curiosities with things that can actually promote the public good. And I think for me, privacy has always stood out as one of the chief embodiments of, of how law can be such a force for good. That's fascinating. And I really resonate with that, um, Chris. And the, the reason is because our vision for everything that we do here at the Privacy Pros Academy and at the uh, consultancy, Case and Privacy Experts, is all based on our vision where uh, we're going to have a world where every woman, every man, and every child enjoys freedom over yeah. their personal information. And our mission here is to empower every organization on the planet to actually be able to adopt those honest privacy practices and to listen to you talking about coming up with solutions where you can identify that the actual development and product teams don't always necessarily talk with the legal teams. And it's sometimes further down the line as they shift left or as they progress to the right that this mm -hmm. happens. And what you've actually found is that by understanding that if we shift left a little bit and find that at the earlier stages, then we don't have to think in terms of a zero sum. We can think of a positive sum because there are ways these can marry together. And actually, we can combine privacy and the objectives of the product or the project that we're working on and really put something out there that not only helps businesses and individuals reach their objectives, but also safeguards and promotes the freedom for them to choose what happens with their personal information. And I think that's really fascinating. All right, Jamal, I'm going to see if I can copy your words and put it on our website because I think you summed it up exactly right. Th that's how, how we think about uh, where how our product can help. Like we are selling obviously to sophisticated companies. And I think, of course, the legal uh, tailwinds are forcing companies to contend with this. But I do think you are seeing more and more companies, they want to do the right thing. I think we are seeing this fundamental transformation, right? The, the, it's not just lip service that privacy matters to people. I think companies are understanding this at a really fundamental, almost corporate bone marrow level that this is an important thing and that we have to get right. And if you don't get it right, not only are you doing a disservice to your customers and jeopardizing your own goodwill, you are putting yourself behind the eight ball when it comes to being uh, competitive. I think the ability to harmonize privacy and what it demands and the speed of execution is going to emerge in the next five years as a competitive advantage. And for those companies who have managed to get the cultural touchstones correct, the processes in place to manage all that versus the companies who take a cavalier attitude or are late to that game, you're going to see that shake out uh, in the market as well. And so from a bottom line, if nothing else, uh, getting these things right today is a really critical and important. And again, it's one of these areas where the externality of getting it right is so positive. As you said, these are real people's lives and data and, and their rights at, at stake. And these are significant rights. We're not just talking about trivial rights here. It can literally be life or death issues when we start talking about certain types of tracking and types of data in certain geographies around the world. And so we want to make sure we're thinking this thing through clear. And so again, this gets back Jamil, to your question, like why privacy? And to me, this these are the sorts of practical implications of why it can be just, again, really interesting, but also a um, really important part of the way we all think about it. And I think one thing I'd like to add to that, Chris, uh, is, is actually also really rewarding when you manage to find the solution that helps preserve that privacy of all of the stakeholders. And you know you've been part of that um, effort to uphold that trust that right. people give when they share their personal information with you. And sometimes people don't actually understand how much personal information they're giving up. So, for example, 
when they're when we're perhaps looking at cookies on people's websites, where they've been, how long they've been there, what they've read, uh, what their tastes are, and all of that is used to build up a profile. And this data is actually the person, and the person is the data. So sometimes people talk about data, 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 and you know it's a cliche. Data is the most valuable asset or the most valuable commodity out there right now. But actually, when you look into it and why it matters, you understand. And earlier this week, I was reading an article about this 14-year-old uh, child, 14-year-old girl who'd taken her life because the algorithms picked up. She was looking at stuff that was making her unhappy, and they fed her more of that until she got to the point where she actually ultimately ended her life. And now her father is trying to make a stand and say, we can't let this happen again. And why did you allow that to happen? You should have picked up on this. And how can we protect our children and vulnerable adults from going down that dark route to, to begin with. So the work that you're doing here is going to be so instrumental in helping all of these companies uh, that you work with, especially the forward-thinking companies. <laughs> about TerraTrue. Sure. So uh, TerraTrue, uh, my, my co-founder, Jad Boutros, as I mentioned, he and I met at Snap and he was the first CISO. He's the brilliant technologist of our half. Uh, as I mentioned, I contribute dead weight on the technical side, being uh, providing the legal muscle uh, and, and privacy insights. Uh, no, but he had spent 10 years at Google leading security engineering efforts uh, on the social side for years. He, he was one of the first 10 security engineers ever hired there. Um, and we now are a team of roughly 50 employees all over the United States, um, catering largely to you know, enterprise co uh, companies who are you know, hungry for a solution that helps them realize, I think in the past, you know, the concept of privacy by design has been kind of booted around for, for a decade plus. And I think it's almost developed a bit of a kind of a, a caricature bad reputation. It feels so academic and uh, the way it's been mm -hmm. talked about. And I think for us, that's why we don't really use the word uh, privacy by design, but that is in fact what we are empowering. But we, we think about it as in this shift left mentality because to us, what privacy really needs to do is declare its independence from these silos and uh, really think of itself less as this compliance function and more as a product enablement, right? The more privacy is thought of as a core part of the way you build product and the more it becomes a natural extension of simply the way products go from conception through implementation, I think all companies are better off. And so TerraTrue is that platform that allows that to happen. So what do we end up doing? We end up being uh, a way of seamlessly ingesting ideas, tickets, uh, business initiative, whether that's in JIRA uh, from product teams or an ironclad from where your uh, contracts are coming in from. The point is we want to make it very seamless for your business to do the work that they've always been doing, not put more panes of glass, not make them feel, oh, this is another function I've got to go through. Let them work when the tools they've been working with, but come up with powerful integrations that can, can pull into pull into TerraTrue. Create one single source of truth for the privacy teams or other teams, even security teams, to understand what needs to be reviewed and then smartly through logic uh, and ML, understand what needs to be, can be auto-approved or sent back or doesn't need need uh, any kind of like oversight and then smartly route that to the right people, map it against the world's laws, create automatic risk flagging, send that guidance right back to the product teams in real time. So amplifying what are often thinly strapped privacy teams to ensure that we are moving at speed, uh, not slowing down the business, making sure privacy is not going to be indicted as the place good ideas go to die, not the place that people want to like move around because this feels like a heavy-handed compliance function, and ensure that what 
privacy teams ideally could do if they had time and world enough with resources and everything can now be done and realized in a way that doesn't at all jeopardize the work. And then make sure that I think the biggest thing that we hate about privacy and most people complain about is it's so manual, it's so repetitive, it's so inefficient. And we want to make sure we get rid of all that. So all the work in TerraTrue is efficiently rechanneled into populating Europas, into creating evergreen data maps, uh, making sure that we can pre-populate and be smart around all the things so your PMs don't have to answer the same questions over and over again, that workflows are dynamically tailored to exactly the data you plan to be using, no more and no less. And so just getting rid of all of the inefficiencies that the devil most privacy programs, that's one of the very, very core points of, of TerraTrue. And it's, of course, there's more to it, but I think you know, this is the, that, that's one of the, the core promises that, that we make. That sounds super useful. And I know one of the biggest frustrations that teams have when it comes to answering the privacy by design, the data protection impact assessments and identifying some of the challenges is actually the communications. And if you found ways of actually automating that so that you're not having to go in and ask the same question, they don't feel like they're answering the same question. Exactly. And they don't actually have to like dread thinking about yes. privacy because, oh, no, it's those guys again. Yeah, Come exactly. Back with the same questions. Yeah. Um, it sounds like you found a super effective way of getting the most out of the human resources there as well, but also improving the chances of success and also speeding up that time because – one of the problems you said we find, especially when we work on these things, is they'll come up with the product or they'll finish the project or they'll come to the end of it. And before sign off, privacy will get drafted. And we'll say, hang on a minute. What about this? What about this? What about this? And right. even collecting that to begin with. And how do you exactly. use it? And then they, you know, they have to go back a few steps. But what you're proposing, the solution that you're proposing here, actually eliminates all of that. It does. And waste it out of the process. It does. And Jamal, that's exactly right. And so you hit on a really good point at the end there where, you know, often if, if privacy does hear about this feature, you know, it might be like a day before they're going to ship it. And then it reduces privacy's toolkit to really this binary, like approve it or reject it and jeopardize, you know, a huge uh, product launch and an initiative. And what we're trying to do is give the whole business a much wider array of, of tools, right? So the earlier you are involved in that process, and the more the business can become self-sufficient because you have this automated guidance, you're able to understand what the risks are and that the companies can also then curate their own bespoke types of uh, workflows, right? Uh, you might as an organization be, have a particular concern around a specific type of cookie or a specific type of geolocation and you can create that. TerraTrue allows you with this our structured data to trigger different either workflows or warnings or modals or whatever you want to do to make sure that your business is understanding what you care about in a way that doesn't require you to manually go through a 20 page spec and figure out what's going on here and map it against like some other random law. And then the other thing that really is important is this is not only great as you go forward, of course, but we all know laws are changing frequently. I mean, here in the United States, we have California, Virginia, Colorado, the federal uh, laws that uh, keep being threatened to come down, different regulations that then are uh, a result of all these legislations. And so the challenge isn't just even going forward, but then it's like, as these laws change, what do you have to go back and re-examine? What, what features have you already done? And with TerraTrue, because of that structured data that we collect and the way we're able to map that, you can also do an instant gap analysis. We're able to say, hey, look, 
based on these legal changes, you need to go fix these 15 different like features that you shipped over the last three years. And here's why, and here's what you can do. And so again, it's just bring, empowering the privacy team to feel part of the product and making the product feel like, oh, this is going to make our lives a lot easier. And so it's that two-way communication, which we empower through Slack and Jira and Ironcloud and making sure that, again, teams don't have to kind of jump out of their own worlds to communicate. And we can kind of be that that hub that does that translation between um, different organizations. Sounds great. Now, Chris, there's, there's so many people listening right now and they're thinking, shut up and take my money, Chris, already. <laughs> But who is this, uh, what, what kind of business or what kind of organization is this solution really most suitable for? Today, our product is really aimed at the companies that are largely in the B2C space, although we are increasingly rolling out features that make it um, more bespoke for, for B2B. But if you want to take a snapshot today, like when you looked at all of our customers, the thing that you would recognize are really kind of like two common denominators. One, largely B2C, uh, the controllers of data, let's just put it that way, right? And uh, already some maturity to their privacy program. Uh, TerraTrue is a pretty powerful platform and it is it assumes a certain degree of uh, maturity with with your program you don't have to have you know an army of, of privacy consultants but it's definitely not designed for let's say a small smb that has no legal teams uh, you do need to have some you know i'd say executive commitment to that but you know look any company who is <clears throat> public on their way to being public a growing series b or series c company who's a controller of data uh, and anyone who is feeling the the pinch of uh, privacy concerns, this is a, a platform that makes their their foundational efforts for privacy incredibly uh, faster, more responsive. And the earlier you ingest TerraTrue, it becomes a source of truth. And the more powerful and faster it becomes, there's a flywheel effect to it. So we have found a ton of success with early adopter companies who use it as that source of truth and can help power going forward, knowing that they want to continue to up-level their, their privacy programs. This is a way of really eliminating a lot of the anticipated technical privacy debt that we see companies uh, consume. And, and so I would say that that's, that should be a good proxy for, for you know, who territory really resonates with. Great. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's more for the more uh, mature businesses, the, the, the listed companies, the enterprises uh, at this point, and you're working towards moving towards um, offering solutions for other businesses. But right now, that is kind of the perfect market fit. So if you're listening and what Chris has described sounds like the kind of company you work with and you'd like to get in touch with Chris about these solutions, what's the best way to reach out to you or your team, Chris? You can uh, just go to our website, uh, terratrue.com. You can download white papers, get a demo that way. And uh, yeah, I'm always happy to personally reach out to anyone who's a listener of the pod. All right, great. So don't worry if you didn't catch that. We'll link it into the description of the podcast. So you can always come back and you can always click on the link and book yourself a demo. And if you're lucky, Chris will even have a conversation with you and really help you to understand how it's going to help you. Now, Chris, I want to get into the more softer skills, which I think is actually the more difficult ones to grasp. And that's really important. When it comes to hiring privacy professionals, um, what kind of things do you look out for when you're hiring people into your team? I would say the number one thing I look for is creativity, which I know may be an odd thing to index on, but it gets back to what we've just been talking about, which is there's a lot of ambiguity around privacy. Um, it's not a field that you you can sit for your exams, and that's an important thing to absolutely understand. You need the basics, right? You can't 
riff and, and, and improvise like as a jazz pro until you understand your scales and you understand the foundations. But at the end of the day, you need to have, especially for uh, when we are building products for modern teams, you need to think pragmatically around privacy. How can these regulations and rules translate into requirements that can be achieved in a pragmatic way at scale? How can they borrow from those first principles we were talking about? Uh, how can you ensure that you are doing everything you need to do and no more and no less? And I think that does require a degree of, of creativity. Privacy still is in its infancy and there aren't like well-polished playbooks that you just kind of like dust off and go from your last job and like, I'll just do the same thing. Uh, you need to kind of come at it with uh, a fresh perspective and an intellectual curiosity to figure it out. So it is that that creativity and then that curiosity that I think uh, if you can, if you have that and you then have the kind of like basics, of course, of just the, the core privacy foundations, those are people I love hiring. Uh, those are the people who I think are really, really going to help move privacy forward as opposed to just kind of like being able to reflexively or, you know, cite to you, you know, Article 32. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But we're, we're on the same page there. I mean, the thing that I, I don't want to use the word hate, but I dislike the most is when businesses speak to uh, your, let's say, mediocre, your average consultants, and they just regurgitate articles to them. Like they could have gone on Google and got that. You're not adding any value. You need mm -hmm. to meet the business where they're at, talk to them in a language they understand and come up with those pragmatic solutions. That means they can actually hit the business objectives whilst at the same time maintaining that trust over that personal information that's been trusted to them. And to hear you say that you're looking for that curiosity, like how can we make this happen? And that creativity in finding ways to do that is absolutely two really essential skills. And you spoke there about the certifications and the foundations. And one of the things we offer at the Privacy Pros Academy is the International Association of Privacy Professional Certification Programs. Perfect. And that really helps them with that curiosity and that open-mindedness that you have. Chris, the last question uh, before we finish up, where do you see privacy in the next five years or even 10 years? What do you think the privacy industry will look like? I think the privacy industry is going to be increasingly... Uh, prescriptive uh, around uh, the data and how data can be used. Uh, we see this. I mean, obviously, GDPR was <clears throat> took a step in that direction. Here in the United States, you're seeing individual states and now this federal legislation that's being discussed taking a much uh, uh, firmer uh, stance on types of data, how it can be used, uh, how we can move away, honestly, from the traditional model of like, consent, uh, like just agreeing to terms uh, and providing real safeguards into how data can be uh, used. And I, so I think there's going to be this dawning recognition that the world of data privacy, as it's been for the past, say, decade or so, is not a sustainable path as we understand more about the scope of data that companies can gather, the rights that that data implicates, and the need to be more uh, proactive in, in setting rules around that. So I think the future of regulation is going to be increasingly prescriptive, hence the reason why companies need to be even further ahead of building these kind of resilient, scalable privacy programs. Um, and I think the, the uh, ultimately you're going to see privacy 
uh, as with kind of security, come to be that kind of like uh, uh, existential board level concern, right? Security is already kind of at that financial controls in the wake of Enron and uh, the 2008 financial crisis. We now see these are like, again, the ways in which companies fundamentally operate, whether it's CEO certifications that you've done anything right. Privacy can be that same way. Like CEOs, I think, and you can see this again in this federal bill that was being promoted in Congress, this idea that we want to make sure people are held accountable to understand how you're treating data, how you're using data. This is something that a, a CEO needs to understand. Again, all the more reason why companies need to be ahead of this so you don't jeopardize that. So I think those are broad brushstrokes, but th that is increasingly where I see privacy uh, gravitating toward. Great. Thank you so much. And almost, I, I lied before, that wasn't the last question. <laughs> Finally, uh, we ask our guests to ask Jamal a question. So anything at all uh, from what you've been listening to today. Like, what, what are you seeing in terms of like the, like over the next, like say, you know, two years or so, like where, where are you seeing like the biggest pressure points when it comes to privacy uh, and, and how it's affecting the way business is being done, you know, uh, on the continent? That's a really good question. Uh, the biggest challenge that businesses are having right now, and this will carry on over the next year or two, is when it comes to the international data transfers, business is done globally more often now than it was ever done before, and it's only going to increase as technology makes it easier for people to have teams and make uses of resources and the benefits of going to different parts of the world for different skills and different um, advantages and benefits. The problem is, though, how do we make sure that any of this data that's accessed from other parts of the world where they don't have such strict laws, that people are still comfortable sharing information with the business where they know that they have offices or they have individuals all around the world working with them. And businesses are really struggling to understand what can we do to make sure that we get this done properly? Because in the UK, the UK businesses, we've had Brexit, right? So the deadline for using new, new standard contractual clauses, the UK version, was actually yesterday. I still haven't actually issued the new templates that we need as businesses to move forward. And so businesses are at the panicking, like, we, we, we want to be compliant. Right now, it's all about reputational damage. The, the thing that's driving most businesses uh, that we work with is they all want to make sure that they are not the next British Airways, they are not next, the next Uber, they are not the next Facebook, which is in the press for all of the wrong reasons. Because, yes, although it might be not a lot in terms of the fine when you think about the revenue some of these companies make, on an annual basis, the actual cost of putting those things right, the actual costs in the ways that people don't see published outside of the fines is significantly more to businesses than people actually uh, realize. And it's only after a company suffers this or they know another company quite well, they actually understand why this is such a big deal. So reputational damage is the key driver that we're seeing across Europe right now. And increasingly, we're seeing those forward-thinking companies think, Okay, now that we know we've got the basics, uh, we've got a good privacy program, uh, we're confident it works, we know that we have a good culture, how can we now take this to a commercial advantage? And what they're looking at is they're looking at the biggest companies in the world. And what they see is Apple. They're selling millions of handsets by talking about privacy, right? And they're talking about it. That doesn't necessarily mean they've achieved it because they're, they're, their new button that says do not track, all it does is send an email to the app provider saying this person doesn't want the data tracked. It doesn't do anything other than that. But the fact is they've understood customers right now, they care about privacy. And those companies that can show them, they understand them, they meet them where they're at and they care about their privacy too, are going to be the companies that are leaders. Amazon, 
they take out space on the billboards on the sides of buildings on buses talking about how much they value their privacy. Now, when you look at the four thing companies, we put millions of dollars on researching what people are interested in to understand the marketing. You can see that four thinking companies are onto something that yes, privacy is actually a great competitive differentiator. And if we get it right now, we will be so far ahead. And that's why when you was talking about this earlier yeah. on, you could see me grinning and nodding along because you're absolutely right. Well, it's funny. I, and I'm grinning when you dropped the Apple example, because I often will uh, use that exact same uh, example. I will say there's no sure confirmation that we're in this kind of like privacy revolution. Then when you have Apple advertising iPhones with like one value prop, right? It will protect your privacy. Like that's these, these broad national campaigns. All they're trying to say is like, it, this is the phone that will protect your privacy. Now we can debate, are there other <clears throat> kind of like uh, motives behind this and, and whatnot? But the, the reality is that they have recognize that this is a core component to what consumers want. And I think that uh, when Apple's doing this, uh, it signals not just where the market is, but but underscores the importance that companies feel about how privacy does have to be a part of the way you build those products. And it, it all just carries through to the, the broader theme that we've been sharing that, uh, on this, this podcast around uh, how you have to have privacy. Hey, privacy can no longer be thought of as this like, other thing, this compliance function, it, if it's not uh, tethered to the actual product development, you're just doing it wrong in this day and age. Awesome. Thank you. Thank Lovely. you so much, Chris. <clears throat> yeah, my it's pleasure. Been, it's been great. We've had a look through your journey into privacy and how you got to where you are now. You shared with us some of your top tips of what you look for when you're hiring. We've covered the shift left mentality and how TerraTrue is really helping those forward thinking enterprises to get privacy right, not only save time, but also get those efficiencies of making sure they maximize the impact of those projects and get it right first time and have that single source of truth. We've spoken about how to map uh, different requirements across the globe. We've talked about forward thinking businesses and how privacy can be a competitive advantage. And we've also discovered new things I didn't know about crosswords, about the symmetry and all of these things. But Jamil has given us all a number of um, apps or games to keep us busy this weekend. So exactly. it's been a fantastic podcast. From everyone uh, listening and from the Privacy Pros Academy, I want to say thank you so much for giving up your time to come and speak with us today. Now, it's been an absolute joy to meet you both and really enjoy the wide-ranging conversation. So thanks, thanks for your time. <laughs> thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, like, and share so you're notified when a new episode is released. Remember to join the Privacy Pros Academy Facebook group where we answer your questions. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're leaving with some great things that will add value on your journey as a world-class privacy pro. Please leave us a four or five-star review. And if you'd like to appear on a future episode of our podcast or have a suggestion for a topic you'd like to hear more about, please send an email to team at kzient.co.uk. Until next time, peace be with you.